Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast. Hey, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. And it is so fun, Rebecca, to have you kind of back getting into a normal rhythm after weeks out touring and doing so much around your book. The book tour was so fun being in a bunch of different states. And because it fell on fall break, part of it, you and the kids got to meet me up in Virginia for a couple days and then headed on from there. Ohio, Florida, New York, Atlanta, all good stuff. It was fun. And I think what I realized as I traveled to different states and cities was that this message resonates for all ages, all seasons of life, just depending on what rhythm is more dominant for you based on possibly what season you find yourself in right now. And that's what we saw through the quiz online and, and also in person. And this is an exciting week too, Rebecca, because Thursday night, October 24th, you're sharing this renewal message with over 20,000 people 100 cities around the U.S. and around the world, college campuses through Q Commons, which is an event where you and Malcolm Gladwell, Francis Chan will be speaking, lots of local speakers. People can host it in their home if there's not one in their city. So I just want to encourage anybody listening, go to qcommons.com, see if there's one in your city. If there's not, sign up for a home gathering where you can host it in your home with a few friends and just have a great evening talking not only about rhythms, but how can we work together to create a better future in our culture? Again, that's the letter Q with the word commons, qcommons, C-O-M-M-O-N-S dot com. So Rebecca, it's been fun having you now back. I think our normal rhythms we're able to get into better these last few weeks. We've had to work really hard at keeping these rhythms alive and doing them separately in a lot of places. But this morning, we got to start the day the way we like to. We got to go for a long walk and just spend time talking. And Yeah, when you're busy, the rhythms are usually the first thing to go, but that's the exact thing you need in that moment. So you might have to fight to have a rhythm in the middle of a crazy season, but that keeps you from going off the rails. It keeps you centered and reminded of why you're doing this in the first place. Because if you're tired and you're not connecting with your people, you won't make rational decisions and you'll spin out from those decisions. So the rhythms are hard harder in intense seasons, but most important. This book has made quite an impact, starting a lot of conversations. And so for you, just what's that been like? Just share with us. Like, what, sure. How are you feeling about seeing that message go forward? It's been sweet. It's been a surprise in some ways because third time writing a book, you start to not have a bunch of expectations around it. You just believe in the content, and then hopefully it will resonate with people in the way it has for you. And so the first week was awesome. It got down to number two on Amazon of all books, which was insane. And then that continued in the second week because we were on the Today Show and did a ton of media in New York that day and the next day. And so as a result, I think even the second week, the response surprised me because you always like really excited about week one, but you don't know that week two is going to look just as strong. In in the publishing world, you have a bunch of pre-orders, thousands of books pre-ordered. So the first week does do strong, but when the second week and the third week do strong, you start to see the traction, the momentum. And let's be honest, number two on Amazon means number two book on the planet, right? I mean, this is that's the new measure of book sales and and number one on book scan and religion. I mean, just yeah, kind of dominating a, yeah. a lot of different categories. But again, those weren't your goals. And that's what I love about it. Just walking alongside you, your goal has been that people get freedom. Mm-hmm. They start to experience the strength that comes from within when they start living in this way. And now that people are reading it, we're seeing so many posts of people, you know, hashtag renewal book as they're going for walks and hikes and doing adventures or making new meals and all the types of things that your book helps people rediscover. 
that's what you dream of as a writer, I think, is that this grassroots thing just takes off on its own. Because then you're not pushing. You're just you're just able to watch and see, and you're so grateful that people are making it their own. And that's what my heart was behind these rhythms is that, yeah, here are seven expressions of each rhythm, rest, restore, connect, create. That's why there's 28 chapters plus intro and outro. But but more importantly, as they get into the rest rhythm or the connect rhythm, they're finding their own expressions of doing that. So they might resonate with one of my chapters and my stories, but they're making it their own. And that, to me, is the greatest gift. That's the most fun. Well, today in this conversation you have with Paula Ferris, I think people are going to get so much out of it because here you have somebody who basically an anchor at ABC News have an incredible success in kind of this media category just shares her story of kind of the rise to that what it what it took to get there but then what started to happen inside of her heart and mind once she had achieved that level of success and this is something that you don't usually get to hear from people, right? You hear all the steps that it took to get there, which we spend the first half of the conversation talking about. And I think you're going to love it because she really does show how long it takes to get to a dream. But then what she she turns the corner and says, I'm going to reveal to you behind the dream, like sometimes that can become chaotic. I can lose my peace. I'm trying to maintain something. There's a lot of pressure. And she's so vulnerable in this. I'm, I'm so grateful that she shared that with us. Yeah, I think. I think everybody's going to be surprised. You want to hear this story because it's one, as Rebecca said, you don't often get to hear, but the way in which Paula opened up, I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked to hear somebody who's a major media personality start to let you into the inner turmoil she's gone through in her own mind, her own struggles with anxiety, her own desire to to sort of find what her true identity was, which maybe she had misplaced it. So we're going to get to hear all of that. So let's listen in now to Rebecca interview Paula Ferris. Paula, welcome. I just adore you ever since we met in New York years and years ago. And it's just so fun to see your journey in media and venturing into your faith podcast and just how you radiate Jesus everywhere you go. Thank you you for being so gracious to the book on Good Morning America last year. Mm -hmm. I was just blown away by just how kind you were and just exposing that message of just Jesus is our peace. We don't have to compare. We don't have to strive. Um, we don't have to live in fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for just well, it's championing my pleasure. that. I, you know, I remember I was going through a unique time in my life where I was just really filled with a lot of anxiety. I got depressed. I went on medication temporarily which uh, for depression. Mm-hmm. And that has only happened one other time. And that's when my husband and I were separated early on in our relationship. And I remember telling my husband, like, I don't know why I feel this way. I know I'm walking in this vocational calling, but I feel so inadequate. And I was letting those feelings of inadequacy and fear. I think the problem was uh, I was trying to do it all on my own instead of just really surrendering it to God. And the moment got too big for me. And I started having some panic attacks on the air, which had initially started when I'm pregnant, I get gestational asthma. And sometimes that will manifest itself on the air. I'll, I'll lose my breath. Well, then that became, it got in my head and became psychological. And, you know, even after I had my third child, the asthma remained. And so I had it in the back of my mind, I'm going to have an asthma attack. Oh and so goodness. then the asthma wow. then turned to panic and fear. Yeah. And um, so work was a struggle for me. So your book really helped. And we had that opportunity to give a book 
that had really helped us to one of our colleagues on the air on Good Morning America, and I recommended You Are Free. And it just, you know, it really helped me. It found me in that moment. And it wasn't, that's not happenstance or coincidental. Right. I think that was right. totally a God thing. And I know it's helped a lot of other people mm-hmm. in their moments of, of crisis. I love that. God knows what we need and he gets he it to us by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And just in that season, it's just so interesting how you described how I was afraid of the fear of that coming back. And mm-hmm. I, I find that too. If you have a history of, I had panic disorder in 2010 and 11 in New York, and I knew what triggered it. And so if it was an elevator or going down several floors into the abyss of New Uh York City, like the lower (laughs) I would descend to whatever subway I was getting on, the more it would start to rise in me. And so it was almost like a learned thing in my brain. And one thing I studied with claustrophobia that would turn into panic was that the only way to combat that is exposure. So you would have to actually continue to push yourself to get in those uncomfortable places to rewire your brain so that you would go like, hey, when I take this elevator to the seventh floor... I will still be alive when, mm. when it opens and I will still step off. <laughs> Coping mechanisms. Yes. yes. Because it, otherwise you're continually going to run. You're right. going to run from your fear. You just avoid, avoid, avoid. And then exactly. you live a life that's so small. But I had to finally acknowledge that I wasn't even so afraid of the elevator door not opening. I was afraid of me and how I would get in response. Your reaction. To you that were afraid fear. of your reaction yes. to the elevator door yes. not opening. Yes. Yeah. It is it's crazy. Terrifying feeling, by the way. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Um, and thank goodness, you know, I think the more you step into those, the more you face your fear, I think bravery is moving scared, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But you still step into that and you're doing this. You're doing this professionally. Yeah. It's just, let's talk about that. Let's just jump into one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about today is in these rhythms for life that are for sustained emotional mental, spiritual, relational health, this idea of this output rhythm of connect and create. And I just see that on you. I just, every time I'm with you, the way you're just so um, personable, you can engage so easily, and which is why you're so gifted at your job. And then now with this podcast, and I'm just curious, like, did you always, even as a child, like just, you could see, discern with people, you kind of knew how to connect with them, or is it something that like just kind of developed Was it nature over time. Or nurture? Yeah. You know, I think I've always had an innate curiosity. I've always been nosy. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. My nickname as a child was Paula 20 Questions. Oh, that's because so good. I was incessant. Paula my, 20 Questions. Paula 20 Questions. I remember my mom's and my parents' friends would come over, and one friend in particular, Judy Bartell, she smoked. And I would, every time she came over, I would sit on her lap and I would go through her purse. And I would ask her first, and she would let me go through her purse. And every time I got to the cigarettes, I would say, you know, these are going to kill you. Why are you still smoking them? And I would confront her. So I was, it's it's so funny because in many aspects, I was very, I was shy. But when it came to these particular vocational gifts that God uniquely gave me and the gifts that he uniquely gives all of us, mm-hmm. um, there's not, there nothing shy about me. But it took a long time for me to see how this, how these particular gifts were going to manifest themselves in terms of my vocational calling. I, you know, I had the nickname growing up. I was always innately curious. My high school drama teacher, Mr. Barsoon, he's the one that recommended I go into broadcasting because, you know, I'm a junior in high school. I'm like, I have no idea what I want to do. He said, you'd be great at broadcast news. And so I didn't grow up thinking, I want to be a journalist. I want to be a broadcaster. You're just Paula. I was just Paula 20 questions. Yes, this innately curious, annoying, nosy child. And uh, I say that other people had to see the dream for me before I saw it for myself. And, And a big reason 
that that's the case is because of my own fear. Mm. I kind of felt that I, I knew these, these unique gifts that God had given me. I didn't want to necessarily embrace them. And I was scared that I would be too, that I was inadequate. Well, I won't have the words to say. Mm. Even when my high school teacher said, you'd be great at broadcast news. Well, I pursued it in college, but I pursued production. Interesting. Editing, Interesting. producing, uh, anything behind the scenes because uh, no, no, I, I couldn't possibly be sure. in front of the camera. Wow. I wouldn't know what to say. The fear of failure really paralyzed me. Mm-hmm. And my college professors additionally were encouraging me to really walk in this vocation. You need to take it an, an, another step. You're engaging, you're natural on camera, but I was so paralyzed by my own fear. So I love that. People love that. saw that dream for me before I saw it for myself. And that's what that's what it usually does, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was Becca Book. That was my nickname. It's, Becca Book? Oh, yeah. For sure. I um, just had my nose buried in a book all the time. Never thought I'd write, but then learned later that readers make writers. And here we are. At 33, mm-hmm. my mom was like pushing my son on a swing. She's like, I always thought you'd write. And I thought, well, that'd be super helpful to mm-hmm. know when I was picking a major. So sometimes <laughs> these things Thanks for just telling me find now, you mom. later. But it's so funny that Paula 20 Questions <laughs> mm-hmm. literally, literally was, was a destiny mm-hmm. for you. And Becca Book was for me. You know, you don't lose those things or forget those things. And then when you just told me about you going through her purse— I immediately thought of what you just told me (laughs) before we were on air about um, your daughter and your high heels in your closet. Oh my gosh, she's 11. (laughs) She's you, Mm -hmm. she's you. She's like, mom, you know that these aren't like, these are gonna be too high and they're gonna hurt your back. She's unabashed. My daughter is the the best version of me though. She's me times times 20. She, uh, she's 11 and so she's in that kind of awkward tween phase yes. where she doesn't want to shop at Justice anymore, uh, yeah. but she doesn't quite fit into I remember that. Eagle. Yes. It's, it's such an yes. awkward Kennedy's phase. Kennedy's almost 14, but mm-hmm. at 11, I remember. It's oh. the sweetest season because there's so much transition going on in their little bodies and their minds and their hearts. Mm-hmm. And you're just They're trying to not women. mess. I know, I know. So when you didn't believe that in yourself, but someone saw it over you, mm-hmm. when did you begin to believe that and step into that? Did you just risk and 9/11. try it? Okay, tell me. Tell 9/11. me about that. Well, I graduated from college in 97. I had a degree in broadcast communications and emphasis in production. And it's it's interesting because like, I knew I kind of I kind of had this desire to be on camera to be a journalist, but I didn't. I was too scared. I, mm-hmm. Like I said, I was just scared of the, the the failure, the inadequacy. I won't have the words to say inarticulate. And so after college, I pursued uh, a couple of jobs in video production. I worked at a video production house for a while, then I worked at a ad agency, and I produced radio and TV commercials. And then I was making no money. I was making like $20,000. So then I went for the big money. I got an offer to work at a radio station in Columbus, Ohio, Sunny 95. So I was 23, 24, and I was making $60,000 a year. It was amazing. And that's great money now. It was great money then. We're talking 90, or wait, 2000, 1999. Oh, yeah. And I get married to my college sweetheart, John Kruger, super hot, by the way, um, <laughs> still hot for him. And he- How many years? We've been married, well, 19 years in 19. September. Mm-hmm. 19 years. And we've been together since 96. Kind of like you and Gabe. Yes. Right? Yes. Same. Yeah. I love it. So where were we? Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, she the, got distracted moment, talking I, about how hot I her husband is. thinking about how my husband is and I got totally- <laughs> distracted. That was some extra for you, right? I love it. And I, it was 9-11, and I just re- I still remember we were living in Beaver Creek, Ohio, which is just outside of Dayton, Ohio, because John was coaching basketball at a, at a historically black college. He coached there for six years, 
and he's coaching. We're living in just outside of Dayton. I remember that morning just watching the news coverage. I was just glued to the television and just riveted by the reporters and the correspondents and the anchors and their ability to remain calm and poised and just just their ability to to convey these sensitive stories, mm-hmm. the personal stories yeah. of loss and a story that's almost like incomprehensible and one that's hard to articulate. And it was in that moment that I really, I, I, I finally accepted. Wow. I'm like, okay, God, I've been running. I've been a little bit like Jonah. I know that this is something that you've wanted me to do. People have been speaking into it, into my life wow. in this direction for a long time. So like everything kind of lines up. So that it was in that moment that I stopped running and I told John, I said, I'm going to quit my job in radio and I'm going to get back in TV. And wow. we were living in Dayton. So I quit my job and it was, I think a month or two before I got hired, I didn't have the luxury of just sending my resume anywhere in the country. I was looking for an entry-level position. I just wanted to get my foot in the door somewhere. Sure. So I was looking for an entry-level position. It had to be in Dayton because I didn't want to, I didn't want my husband to uproot his amazing job as a basketball coach for this weird dream and this risk. So I applied at several of the stations in Dayton, Ohio, and the NBC, the dual affiliate station, uh, NBC Fox affiliate, it was WKEF and WRGT in Dayton, Ohio, hired me to be a PA, making $7 an hour. So I just got my foot in the door. I was running teleprompter, writing, um, running the assignment desk, which is, that's, you turn up the police scanners and you hear where the stories are and that's how you dispatch your crews. So I got my foot in the door there. I had told the news director when he hired me, I said, I really want to, I'm just doing this. I want to get back in TV and I want to be a reporter. And he's laughed and he's like, you won't do it here. And I said, I know, I don't, I don't expect it. Dayton's a pretty substantial size market. Um, but because I had a degree in broadcast communications with an emphasis in production, I knew how to shoot. I knew how to write. I knew how to edit. So in my spare time, I borrowed the gear from the guys in the sports department, you know, like a 50 pound battery pack and tripod and camera. And I shot a tape just like a resume reel. Cause if you have, if you have a job interview, you're going to hand a piece of paper In our line of work, we have to hand a tape sure. to see what you can do on camera. Yeah doesn't matter what your resume looks mm-hmm. like. It's what your resume reel, your resume tape looks like. So I, I assembled this resume reel, gave it to the news director, and I shot it all myself and edited it all myself, produced it, everything. And I wasn't handing it to him thinking that he was going to put me on air. I just was, I wanted his feedback, you know, give me some, give some feedback because you know I want to eventually report. And he said, you did this? And I was like, yeah, I can shoot and edit. I can do everything. Yeah. You had had all and the experience all, all the like, way around. He's like, put another tape together for me. I'm in the midst of, of producing another tape. And he, I still remember I was in the newsroom. He walks up to me. I think it was in May. I'm trying to remember. I think I got hired in October and in May, he walks up to me, taps me on the shoulder and he's like, I'm going to put you on air. Wow. So he decided to put Just me on air. Just in a few months. Yes. And all that experience, even with production. Oh, that's it the was only all reason. Part of it. it was all part of the plan. Yes. Yeah, step and by step. But he puts me on the air, so I'm doing, I'm anchoring sports, reporting news stories, but I'm still running prompter sometimes and, you know, running the assignment. It's <laughs> a little like, bit I of everything. All, guys. Yeah, but I, I didn't get a raise, still making $7 minimum wage. And um, I did that for a year. And then I, that job in Cincinnati just fell on my lap. Cincinnati was just down the road. And I had covered some of the Cincinnati teams living in Dayton. They were 45 minutes away. So wow. I got to know some of the Cincinnati media and they had told me about a job opening. And I went for an interview. I got the job and I started Official, you know, I started official. officially like two weeks later. So then I was in Cincinnati for three years, 
covering sports. And then I worked in Chicago for six years. And now we've been in New York for eight. So was it sports in Chicago as well? Sports in Chicago. Yeah. I was the first like main female sports anchor wow. in the top three market. It was great. I loved, I loved sports and I still love sports. It was just hard to, um, it, it was hard to maintain that lifestyle when I, ha- I had two little kids and sure you know, working, yeah. you know, some weekends and nights too. I wanted to be home. And then yeah. when you are home, you're watching the games. And so you're not engaged. And I wanted to, I wanted to transition into news. Mm-hmm. Sports people can do anything because you're used to improvising and tap dancing and mm-hmm. ad-libbing just right. about everything. Right. And I had gone to my news director and the general manager in Chicago. I had a great relationship with them. And I said, I really want to work on a morning show. And they're like, uh, people will only see you as a sports girl here. And I, that's when I knew that like I had to do, I knew that there was something else out there for me mm-hmm. and I did, I could have, you know, I, they, yeah. I had another contract is to, to re-up my contract and to stay in mm-hmm. that capacity. But I knew that there was something more. So that's why we ended up moving to New York, but we kind of ended up moving to New York kicking and screaming because we said, sure. we, we didn't want to leave everything behind. Right. Right. We had two little kids. Our yes. families were in Michigan and Indiana. Perfectly equidistant from Chicago, but we ended up I remember going to, that. Going to I remember our first meeting through our mutual friend, Dan mm-hmm. Harris. And our friend, who's in basically a non-believer. He's an atheist yes. slash agnostic. Yes. And, and he has facilitated most, this I know. relationship. And one of the most just brilliant, mm-hmm. kind, just love. We just loved him from the moment we met him. He is one of my favorite human beings. Yes. He has a very popular podcast called 10% Happier. Yes, I love it. One thing is ironic though, not ironic because I know God's not, you know, he's smiling at this, but how mm-hmm. providential is it, right? That you felt this call, like finally felt the confidence mm-hmm. when your heart was so moved by something in New York City, mm-hmm. right? That That's when you took that risk of faith, that step out, when you just felt that weight, even mm-hmm. that burden spiritually for those people who are grieving and mourning. And then God providentially brings you back to that city that birthed kind of I that desire in your heart. Well, just I the way you said it, it I was way. like, so That's when was the moment? I just, I'm always so curious mm-hmm. about the moments where you just really say yes. You step into something that you know. It's like when God asks us and invites us into something, you know it's Him when you kind of can't shake it. It's mm-hmm. like sand in your shoe that's always a little bit there and irritable, but it's also scary and risky and um, requires sacrifice. And it nags at you. Sand yeah. is so small, but it nags at yes. you. And mm-hmm. then, but yet when your heart was so moved at 9-11, mm-hmm. then you said, yes, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there have been moments along the way where we've, we've moved, you know, my husband is, has switched his career for my career, which mm-hmm. is kind of unheard of in the yeah. Christian community. And I say it's a, it takes a, you know, a really strong man to, yes. to support yes. a, a strong, confident woman. Um, but and a I, strong marriage. Yes. Well, which is, has seen its ups and downs. Yeah, absolutely. And. But I think the two biggest moments were, you know, finally walking into that vocational calling. You know, when God calls you, he'll equip you. And I just, I literally, I still felt inadequate, but I just said, okay, God, this is on you. If you call me, you're going to equip me. And the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And I just, I've taken that with me my whole life. And then the next big moment was moving to New York. Yeah, let's talk about that in a million years thought we would move to New York City. I don't like New York City. I'll be honest. I never wanted to be in, in a network anchor or correspondent. My mantra about New York was I like to visit. I love to leave. And I I literally <laughs> I told my agent, I said, stop sending me to New York for, for interviews. Yeah. No, for interviews. Oh, for interviews. Yeah, he was my, yeah. my agent was finding a job opportunities. I was like, you can pay me a million bucks. I have no desire to go to New York City. I'm a Midwest kid. I wanted to stay in the Midwest. I was right up in my comfort zone. 
I love it. And so tell me, tell, mm-hmm. it, tell us a little bit about that. Since your journey in New York, you've done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Summarize that in just a minute, like what your, what your assignments were yep. that led to where you are now. So I was initially assigned to do the overnight show at ABC called World News Now. I didn't even know they had an overnight show until they— <laughs> interviewed me for the job. And so when we first moved to New York, we had two small kids. I was working the overnight. So I was going in at nine in the night and coming home at nine in the morning. I did that for a year. And then I became a general correspondent. And this is all at ABC News. ABC is the network. So anywhere Mm -hmm. in any market, any TV market around the country that you watch ABC, that's, I work for the network. So you'll see me in Missoula, Montana. You'll see me in Uh, the Royal Wedding. We can talk about that in a minute. Yes. So I became a correspondent, and then they asked me to start. Um, they asked me to anchor Good Morning America Weekend Edition. I did that for four years. I did The View for three years, and then last year, I just said, "Guys, I've lost myself." Wow. Um, I feel like my calling had kind but how of how brave my to vocational just say calling that. consumed me to the point where I'm like, I know God, I'm supposed to be doing this, but I've lost sight along the way of my true life calling, and that's who I am. So the bigger my, narrative, the bigger narrative, and I didn't really realize we have these these dueling callings on our life: the life calling, which is who we are, and that's to love God and love people, and that's our foundation. That's where our identity is rooted. My identity, unfortunately, had had become uh, my identity started to come from what I did. Yes. By that vocational calling. Yes. And I felt like God really wanted me to take a step to the side, work Monday through Friday. So I approached my bosses and I said, I want to work Monday through Friday. And I was told it's not going to be the greatest move for my career. Um, but I knew that that's God was calling me into this kind of season of career ambiguity. I said, I wanted to work Monday through Friday. I want to launch a faith podcast at ABC. I want to cover big stories. And so I've been doing mm-hmm. that. You know, I, I just interviewed the Avengers and Star Wars cast and Donnie and Marie Osmond, the Royal Wedding. I anchor every now and then. So I just fun I watching do all you kinds of there. weird assignments now, but yes. I do GMA just about every day. I file in some capacity. I do yes. world news tonight a lot. I do stories for Nightline. And, and how has it changed podcast. your perspective and just like your approach to it now? Because my identity doesn't come from what I do anymore. Amen. So good. I mean, and I think, you know. Just the confession of that out loud. I think when you said, oh, when you told God, like, I'm losing who I am I've for the sake of totally this role. totally lost, yes. I, I want to press into that for a minute because I think a lot of people get so far in their career and they they fear that has been the security, that has become the security and the mm-hmm. identity. And so while they're miserable, unhappy, burning out. Um, yeah, conflicted they're, because they're like, God, you called me to do this, right? And I used to love it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've felt sometimes that. I know everyone who's done something hard and fast long enough is going to get to a point where like the thing that drew me to this, that I fell in love with about this is now repelling me. Like I can't. Really? And so the the risk is that we quit it all because we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And yet you were able to deconstruct that a little bit and go, no, there's still this vocational talent that God put in you to connect and to be resilient on the training that mm-hmm. you've had, but it's going to have to look different. It has to, it had to look a lot different. And, you know, I I give ABC a lot of credit for allowing me to launch a faith podcast. Yes. I mean, most people, are they let you do Absolutely. what? Absolutely. Um, so I give them a ton of credit. They've worked with me and, and they understand that I was just looking for more work-life balance, which is hard to find in my industry. Absolutely. But walking away from these two dream jobs, you know, The View and Good Morning America Weekend, which is the weekend show with with Dan Harris. Yes. I'll never replicate that type of work environment yes. again. It was difficult. Uh, and, and then when I walked away, I realized I didn't know who I was anymore. So if you ask yourself the question, if you walk away from what you do, your vocational career, will you still know who you are? I 
always said that I would, you know, I, to a point where I was proud and haughty. And mm. I said, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by who I am. But when the rubber met the road and I truly walked away from these two dream jobs, I was a mess. Wow. I had an identity crisis because I had completely rooted my identity in my job. There were moments of guilt, a lot of moments of guilt, because I thought to myself, why is it not enough to be a mom and to be a wife and to still have this great job? I don't have like a specific title. I mean, I'm a senior national correspondent and an anchor and Mm -hmm. a podcast host, but I don't have like these two landing spots like I did. And those um, feelings of guilt were overwhelming Mm. of, gosh, you know, I – when the moment came, I mean, I, I had to eat my words because I had invested my my who I was and what I did. And I really had to go through a mourning process and I had to deal with that. I had to really deal with it. So thank you. you. Know, thank you for talking about that though, because that that's brave. A lot of people feel like they have to walk through that alone. And I'm sure mm-hmm. in the moment, you know, you had your people kind of leaning in that you could process that with because guilt is a real thing and we will we will be the hardest on ourselves. Oh, we will condemn ourselves. We will just say all the things we did wrong and we didn't appreciate it when we had it or or we didn't feel this enough or that enough. And yet just the confession of you just going like my identity had become here. I don't want that to be the case. By just walking from that really kind of broke the power of that over you knowing mm-hmm. that it would be the unknown again and be totally. scary and you'd be stepping faith is out. That, and faith is that first step when you can't see the rest yes. of the staircase, but sometimes you can't even see that step, that first yes. step. Yes. Like you can just see yeah. your toes and You're that's like, it. You knew you were supposed to say, I'm done, but right. you didn't really know beyond. Yes. And yet I, I believe God calls us to like throw all the chips in the middle of the table mm-hmm. a few times in our adult life. But I, I think too, like I— I don't want to say I'm upset at the Christian community, but I feel like we, it's it's systemic in our society, and it's also in the Christian culture. I, you know, I just heard a, a very popular pastor talking about, oh, you don't have to find your calling; it's going to find you. And when we talk about calling, it's always synonymous with our career, is it not? Right, and that's not true. No, it's not true. I'm actually, you know, I'm I'm writing a book about it right now with your friend Seth Haynes, and I'll tell you just a little bit about it, but. You know, we're taught from a very young age. I even asked my son the other day, and I had to catch myself. I was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? We put all of our eggs in the what you do basket. Right. right. In the vocational career basket. Right. Instead of the this vocational calling basket, instead of the life calling. I was like, I need to start asking my kids, who do you want to be when you grow up? Because that's never going to change. Who, who you are. Not what? Your life calling, which yes. is loving God and loving people. That's. Yes. That's what the Christian community yes. should be talking about. Yes. That's your calling. Your right. vocational calling will flow from yes. your life calling. The way and if I've it doesn't, it, you just, you topple. It's you, true. You it's true. I, I've always kind of seen it this way for myself. I, I have to give language to things. It's one calling, one mm-hmm. life call, multiple expressions. Mm-hmm. So if we're to love the Lord our God, heart, soul, mind, strength, mm-hmm. love our neighbor as ourselves. But he's going to give us multiple expressions of that with our unique bent, our birthright gifts, our natural talents, the training, the nurturing along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's what's fun, though, because God's inviting us into this adventure with Him and saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Mm -hmm. There's actually something around the bend that I know you love what's happening right now, um, but there's something new that I'm going to keep doing in you. I'm going to do 
a new thing in you over and over and over because it's the communion that he's after. Yep. He like just wants us to be with him in mm-hmm. it and the adventure of that. And once it's all gets planned out and figured out, we don't need him as much. And I, and so I'm always reminded of like, okay, God, I want to not miss the interruption of you totally. in the middle of what's happening right now because while this might seem great, you're always drawing me into something new because you're mm-hmm. about growing my faith. Yep. That's what you are. You're about growing my faith and growing our relationship and our communion. And so I'm in. Yeah. I'm in whatever that means. Yeah. And it's just been really sweet to watch you model that so, so well um, with family, honoring your work, honoring ABC. Obviously, the reason they gave you that faith podcast is because they saw something they trusted. They felt safe with you taking that mantle. So praise mm-hmm. God for that, that you Thank have you. represented him so well that like they're like, yeah, let's do that. And I think we have a lot to learn. Um, the church has a lot to learn from people who are in the front lines of culture, but are light and they are spreading. They're like exhibiting. Are we the f- all called to be like? We though? are. We are. But I'm just it, saying, yeah. watching you do it with such grace and mm-hmm. the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and kindness and temperance and self-control, all those things embodying you is what we need to be seeing all the time. Aww. And so Giving just by you, big, just big by you doing audio that, hug right now. No, it's <laughs> true though. And I don't. I, I want to. Sh- I want to speak life over you because I know it's not always easy to be in environments where you might feel like. There's a lot of different opinions in this room of what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is a lie, whatever. But God calls me to embody the fruit of His Spirit mm-hmm. and to be empowered by that. And um, when that when that is displayed, no matter who it is, it's compelling. It's mm-hmm. compelling. Whether you are agnostic or whether or not you're curious or you're critical of faith, you don't know. So thank you for doing that. I'm going to always rally for you, cheer for you, no matter what interviews really you're going into or whatever you're doing. And I just want to encourage people too, you know, it's don't feel trapped. Yeah, and good. And if you feel burnt out and if you feel like everyone's getting your leftovers, then I think, you know, listen to God that he's, he's probably tapping you on the shoulder. You know, I went through a season of hell and, you know, which started with a miscarriage, a concussion, then head-on car crash, influenza, pneumonia in seven months. And that's what God, that's what God had to literally allow to happen to me to get my attention. That Crazy. all led up to me The catalyst down. for this. I yes. got hit in the head with an apple. That gave me a concussion when I was doing a live shot. So I hope you don't have to get hit <laughs> over the head with an apple. I remember you telling yes, me Yes, I was concussed. What an insane I was out of season. work for three weeks. But just, it's amazing to see, just to look back, even, you know, I stepped away from those two jobs in September and I had no idea what I was walking into. And just to see the 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 new opportunities, God's still using my vocational gifts, but to see them in different capacities yeah. and to see the other doors that are opening, I don't I just want to encourage you that you shouldn't feel trapped. God yeah. is a big God. And if He's He's getting your attention for a reason, don't be afraid to step out there. And, yep. and take a risk. And the most important call at the end of the day is that life call to love God and love people. And that's really the Great Commission. And that's mm-hmm. how you can use your calling to to you know manifest God and give Him the most glory. So, Amen. Preach. And buy Thank my book you. when it comes out. <laughs> don't worry. Next I will April. give them all the information. <laughs> I don't know. I have so- a title. It's not finished. <laughs> I don't even have the manuscript done, but I'm super excited. Oh, well, we'll pre, 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 pre-order. <laughs> I'll give you a copy. I love it. Oh, well, thanks for being on. This was such a delight. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Well, Rebecca, that was such a great conversation. And I think for so many people listening, again, this 
conversation around calling and identity can get really confusing because we all know we have this purpose and assignment that can be our job. But as you and Paula talked about, like that's not the whole of who you are. Right. And when we misplace identity in that, it causes all kinds of burnout and other challenges. I know as you've traveled, as you speak, as you write and talk to women, you hear that conversation come up a lot, especially for women about their career and being a mom and how do I do it all? Right. The book she is referencing, You Are Free, uh, the subtitle is Be Who You Already Are. It's this idea of that you are and your worth and your identity is not attached to your roles, your responsibilities, your latest accomplishments. It's actually attached to how loved you are, how free you are, how you've been given a gift, you've been given a calling, you've been given a passion and a purpose, and you walk in those things, but they don't define you. I, I like to look at it as a holistic picture, you know, that we look at the roles, we look at the responsibilities, we steward them well, but at the end of the day, they don't measure our worth. And I'm so grateful that she talked right to the heart of that, because that's where the freedom comes. When, when you can say yes or no to something and be okay with a door that opens or closes because you hold it loosely, because you know you're loved, you're chosen, and that you have purpose and passion that's going to continue beyond even that current context. Yeah, it was fun, too, to hear just her original story. For all those people who are listening, who maybe you're younger, you're in college, you're thinking about your career, just her hauling her camera around when she worked at that local TV station and filed her own sports stories. And within seven months of working essentially for free you know, or, or very low pay, she ends up getting offered a job and she takes it. But it wasn't without a lot of hard work, right? It's like people go, oh, you got lucky. It's like, no, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And she certainly was prepared. The other thing I just want to note, obviously, this entire podcast is about these four rhythms. How do we incorporate them into our life to rest, restore, connect, and create? And I thought at the end of your conversation with Paula, you demonstrated for us exactly what we say to do in terms of connection. Like you spoke over her. You spoke mm -hmm. life over her. You, you really gave words. You encouraged her. You were helping her see herself in a way that maybe she doesn't always wake up and see herself as. Mm -hmm. And you could just see how she lit up, right? And right. she loved that. And that's the sort of thing we're saying to every listener, like, do that today. Like, who is somebody in your life today that you can just take an extra minute to encourage them beyond what they ever would have expected? Right. When people hear that, you know, sometimes they're so close to it. They don't think about it for themselves. But that I know we know for our kids, it makes them light up. For each other, it makes us light up. And so I always want to think through that in advance and go, what are some of the things she's saying? I want to make sure I tell her. And so often we think these things about people, but we don't always say them. So it's a challenge to do that. And I also want to let you guys know Paula has a new book that's coming out called Called Out. And it's her story and depth. It's going to be why she left the dream job to pursue a true calling. It's going to be a beautiful story. I can't wait to get that in your hands as well. Yeah, that'll be out in summer of 2020. So keep your eyes out for that. And again, we just thank you for being a part of this community, for sharing this podcast with others. So be sure to subscribe so that you get this every week as we release them on Tuesdays, as well as leave a review, which is a very important step in this continuing to climb the charts. Listen to these with your friends, listen to them with your children. And as always, through our partnership with Our Tribe, we have a coach standing by ready to talk with you if you want to go deeper into your life story, how you can better live out these rhythms. And you can do that by texting the word RENEW to 555-888. Special thanks to Ryan O'Neill with Sleeping at Last for providing the music for season one.